Literally no one in this film is mentally well. I see it's got Fisher Stevens in it, who's like, I've now realised the most ubiquitous man in the world. He's I love him. He, do you, he directed the, the David Beckham documentary that's on Netflix? <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> this is what I found out the other day. It's like, how can you how can you be Johnny, like Johnny Five, search circuit, go from that to uh, yeah. succession to directing the Beckham documentary? What's going on? What a varied career. Good for him. And, and married to every beautiful woman in Hollywood as well. Who is he? Married to. Is he, is he, he was also the psychologist that up. Phoebe was going out with in the first yeah. season that told them all. Fisher Stevens' girlfriends. There is, <laughs> drinking coffee out of these big mugs, which I'm sorry, you may as well have nipples on them. I mean, you know what? This is a cold <laughs> open if ever I've had one. And welcome back to the Cine Skinny. It's the best film podcast in all the land. The pod from the team behind the Skinny magazine. It's me, Peter, back from holidays in the various north with Jamie and Anahi. How are you both? Very well. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, Ellie was supposed to be on today, but it's a bit under the weather. So get well soon to Ellie. Yes. Uh, the here that we are in is that's a weird way of putting that. We are at EHFM at Summer Hall. How did you say it? I said the here that we're in. <laughs> Things are going well. Uh, yeah, we are back. The here that we're in is EHFM's studio at Summer Hall in Edinburgh. Thank you to Jamie and the gang, EHFM.live, the best radio station. Uh, we're back with another bit of chat about the films. Two actually very, very good films this week, which is always a pleasure. And then a bit of chat about films, including people going on their holidays, which is nice because it's fucking freezing outside and inside. And he is gripping a coffee. <laughs> My little hand warmer. <laughs> Jamie is doing some lean, I'm actually. Doing, yeah, I'm, I'm usually in the middle, so I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying having a wall next to me today. It's, just, it's giving me power, I feel. I'm gonna this like, is very, like, French philosopher. I don't know why. But, you know, somebody, kind of some, somebody, somebody said, a, a, like, a cool professor uh, recently as well. Oh, which, someone. Which, what? Who am I to say no to that? <laughs> but, like, I don't think that's a vibe I give off, but clearly it is. I'm not trying to give that vibe I think off. it's, like, the corduroy. Yeah, And the then the, like, high neck. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a little bit Foucault. I need some patches like, on my elbow. Yes, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, you do. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's not dressed all in black. It's like a green and kind of burnt umber colour. Burnt umber. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it is kind of hobbity, but also Foucault. Well, actually, these are the trousers I wore uh, for my hobbit costume. Aww. <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> at Halloween as well. That's so nice. <laughs> Don't you feel like you know us all a bit better already? <laughs> Right, I think we'll just crack on. First film, which is How to Have Sex, which is the kind of much-hyped debut film from Molly Manning-Walker. Uh, Tara, M, and Sky are teenagers off to Malia on a post-GCSE holiday in what begins as a kind of frenzy of drinking and partying, but soon reveals tensions within the group and dangers from outside. So before we start on this film, this is a film that deals with issues around like consent and sexual violence. So if you want to skip this section of the pod, then no worries. Uh, the timestamps for all the different bits are in the description. Uh, so if you don't want to listen to this bit, then fair play. We will see you later on in the episode. So like I said, debut film from Molly Manning Walker, Mia McKenna Bruce, Enver Lewis and Lara Peek are uh, Tara M and Sky, respectively, alongside Sean Thomas and Samuel Bottomley, who are both from the excellent Liam Williams BBC Three sitcom Ladhood. And Sam Bottomley was also in Get Duked, it's called. Yeah, yeah the the EIF, I almost said the EHFM opening film. That's not a thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, young cast, really exciting bit of filmmaking. Uh, I will come to Anna Heat first, as she has quite literally written the book about female friendships in film, BFFs, out now on 404 Inc. Get yourself a copy. Oh my God, thank you. That's all right. 
Um, you, you know, what are your what are your friends slash podcast co-hosts for, if not improvised plugs of your book? Uh, so yes, how to have sex, an interesting portrayal of female friendship in this kind of crucible of drinking all night on a package holiday. Yeah, it is so interesting that it's being talked about as a film about female friendship um in a way that i actually really respect because they are kind of awful to each other at times which i think is kind of how at that age and also beyond that age but especially at that age like these female friendships go so these are kind of three female friends um who are kind of surrounded by the kind of like rhetoric and structures of kind of the intimacy of female friendship at that age. So they kind of have the same chance. They have like, they're all cuddled up in bed next to each other. But this film is about like, it kind of centers on Tara and her kind of first sexual experiences. A lot of which are fueled through this kind of culture that the girls kind of live in, which is just this race to the finish line of just like wanting to have sex, wanting to lose their virginities. And it was really striking how little kind of structures of care there are almost around each other in a way that I think is maybe one of the most kind of like thorny and prickly parts of the film. A lot of the time, as we kind of see what happens to Tara, she's on her own. There's this one scene where they're doing like a drinking game and her friend Skye, who seems to be very worldly, very sexual, um, very like knows what she's doing, basically outs her as never having said, had sex before. And there's like this kind of competitive edge when they're kind of around these boys that yeah just felt very kind of evocative of how things were or how things are kind of at that age and i think it's kind of like a broader pattern within the film that molly manning walker is really happy to get into the kind of grimy and gritty things of how like intimacy and relationships and connection work so there's this kind of like female friendship level there's obviously the kind of sexual cultural level that she's exploring that again is really it's just grimy it's just horrible like the things that this girl goes through are so like you feel it really viscerally but they're also just so mundane like there is no stranger in a dark alleyway like the way that she's thinking about sexual assault um and potential sexual violence is just the things that you kind of swallow and that are just part of the sexual coming of age experience of most women um so there's that and then there's an also really interesting exploration of British culture I think that kind of Brits abroad the fucking wristbands the drinking the like chanting like you can feel the locals hating them <laughs> uh, every second and yeah so there's loads of like really really complex layers to this that I thought made it like really really clever it feels quite small I will say there's been like comparisons to After Sun I think purely because it's like a debut female British director and I think also because it's abroad and this is <laughs> how we like to make comparisons. And also um, our pals at movie probably haven't shied away from that comparison. And also our pals at movie have not shied away from that comparison. Um, and it's just not in any way kind of at that same like experimental filmmaking level. Like at that it felt quite it, it isn't the most kind of radical or different film that you will ever see. But I think in the ways that it's kind of zoning in in a really kind of close up way on aspects of culture that we just like swallow and are ignored and that normally wouldn't be part of like the main plot of something. I think that is really clever and really compelling. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's the kind of film that, I think she has something almost better in her. And then this is a film that we'll come back to and be like, oh, I see where like the seeds of it started. I definitely don't think this is her masterpiece. And I know for some people, 
this is like their film of the year and it just did not feel like that for me but it is yeah really worth watching excellent performances like you said mm-hmm. um looks great as well she was the dop for scrapper That's wasn't right, she yeah. yeah so it's that same kind of like really neon drenched color that yeah it, it's it yeah very much worth a watch yeah Jamie, we uh, jinx for one thing, but yeah, crack on. Oh no, yeah, I was, I was going to say I completely agree. It's a really great debut, and actually, I think a lot better than Scrapper. I think mm, it, like yeah, it's a much yeah. better film. But what I was surprised by was you, what you described is exactly what happens in the film, but you make it sound really grim, and and, and it is there is grim things happening. But actually, what surprised me f- was how much bounce and energy the film mm. also has, especially the first half, and the, and in the way. Um, the director handles that tone and the tonal shifts I think is actually quite interesting she does quite an interesting thing with time and flashbacks and we don't exactly know what happens so, so she reveals what happens to, to one of the girls slowly which I thought was an interesting choice but yeah the first half is basically like one of those episodes of Sun Sea yeah. and Suspicious Parents you know <laughs> like it, 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 but it's like but it looks it, 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 it's honest about um these holidays, you know, for, for kids, these are this is a rite of passage. It's a really fun time. There's a great scene where they arrive at their chalet and they walk in, and the chalet is the most basic, boring piece of shit <laughs> hotel you can imagine. And you'd think they'd walked into the Ritz. They're so excited, yeah. and that's what it's like when you're that that age when you're doing these things for the first time on your own without your parents. There's a huge amount of excitement. Um, you know, and and it just the first kind of half is basically takes us along with that ride. So we're following them as they they're getting drunk, as they're parting, as they're vomiting, as they start to drink again, as they're eating chips on the way home. So it, it the, so the first half is like much more like a kind of really almost documentary, immersing us with these girls, and then something happens, um, which is which which is revealed very slowly. But but once that happens, the film completely shifts. Like so mm. so for this colorful, bright, beautiful looking strip, we see it. In the, in the broad daylight for the first time uh, and it's like it's strewn with litter it looks horrible it looks tacky um, and yeah I, I thought that sort of tonal shift was really well done and it deals with the central instance um, which are quite troubling in very sophisticated non-gratuitous ways yes yeah, so, so I, I thought it was really great I thought I, I agree the, the the kind of friendship is really interesting like you know that this Sky, who's clearly jealous of Tara, mm. who doesn't like, who hates her actually. There's a kind of like that that kind of uh, thing about a friendship where th- there's a kind of rivalry mm. and and a kind of you know and and, and you can see it unraveling it and see see Tara realizing it in in real time. I think it's it's that's partly the great performance. The the young girl, I can't remember her name, who plays Tara. Um, uh, Mia McKenna Bruce. Yeah, like yeah. so much of it, like she's quite a react. Uh, what's the word? Uh, not a reactive character. She's like. Uh, uh, What's the word I'm trying to look for? Anyway, she she things happen to her. She, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What's the what's like passive? Passive. She's a very passive yeah. character, um, and a lot of it plays out on her face, her reaction. Mm. So in real time, she realizes this 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 girl's not my friend, and you'll see her like just very subtle things about like she talks about the way she dresses or she makes her wear this certain costume um just in a way to kind of almost humiliate her and she realizes that at the time and then mm. we, we later she sees that the boys that she has first of all this kind of you know kind of very naive idea about these these kind of romantic guys these you know basically fuck boys and sort of dumb guys you know she thinks they're sort of nice guys initially mm. and then it slowly dawns her that they're actually not so so but that a lot of that just plays on this person who's who's being kind of dragged along um, on this holiday and I thought that is to get a, that performance out of a young actor like that was 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 yeah. really impressive um so yeah the film is 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 is, is really tonally interesting I think in mm. the way that it's handled um 
But they're also like children was the yeah. thing that struck me, like even the boys. And I think there's something really interesting about the way that she has cast them and filmed them. That yeah, they are these kind of people that are committing this kind of violence and these sort of traumatic events to these girls. But they're kids. Like they literally are just children. And so I think there's something really important about how she is addressing kind of broader movements within the culture rather than honing in on like men as bad or boys as bad or even particular characters as bad. Like she's thinking about more like what are these cultural sort of narratives that we're creating. And actually one of the scenes for me that was like the most like, oh, like you felt it really viscerally is one of the boys that she has a crush on gets like taken up on stage um, as part of this like holiday, like, like you know kind of like show sex game thing sex thing. game thing um and then he has this bunch of girls like undressing him and you can see how she has gone from like being all like oh i'm gonna like sleep with him and she's like really sexually like kind of confident and excited and then she kind of sees it and you can just see her like sh- slowly shrink into herself and you can see him like clearly uncomfortable and i think it did a really good job of that sort of tension that i think is inherent to british culture and how it thinks about sex which is that everything is over-sexualized, that it is like often very crass and very kind of this performance of sexuality. But we're also so fucking repressed in like how kind of British culture thinks about sex. And that tension as a young person is a really difficult place to be in because you both desperately want to have it. It's something that you need to like perform, but also you have no idea about any of it and you were never taught to think about it in a healthy way. Yeah, um, it's it, it's why making the characters be sixteen rather than eighteen mm. makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Because if somebody is sixteen, they're sort of old enough to have their own agency, but they're still young enough that they are not. They can't really be held responsible for mm. the society that they're operating in. Mm. So, like the girls all being yeah in that kind of boundary zone between being like adults and being children. Yeah, it makes it it makes for these kind of like interesting elements in the film. Um, I think it's really good on the kind of like pervasive nature, like you say, of kind of like lad culture and uh, kind of male attitudes towards women. But again, because the, a lot of the characters are very, very young, it just it makes it very clear in quite a subtle way that this is the soup that they're swimming in. That it's mm-hmm. not like that this culture has been created and they have been almost like subjected to it. I mean, the as much as the women are obviously much more kind of like sexualized and are under more kind of like active threat it's not as if anybody is actually having a particularly good time yeah. in this kind of system that they're all in. Also, Mia McKenna-Bruce was 24 when they filmed this. Yeah, yeah, she's had a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Very good acting. Yeah. Just very, very good acting. Yeah, isn't that wild? Very good drunk acting as well in this film. Yeah, like, absolutely yeah, fantastic, yeah. like, falling about. That thing of, like, having a sudden burst of energy and then being immediately like, I'm not going to sleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's interesting. But what what's interesting, I think, is the director. I think is ambivalent about these holidays. I think actually she recognises that is a lot of fun, and mm. you know that the actual idea of this freedom is good in a way. But obviously, there's a credible downside, and that's that's probably to do with education. Like I think, like the the boys, their behaviour. I don't think they even know they've done anything bad. It's like yeah. the, like like when one of the thing happens, the boy wands over, walks off, and has a party, mm. and then the girl goes in this kind of night of. 
um, this, this re- actually a really beautiful sequence actually when she goes off and f- meets some nicer people mm. and actually that it gives you a hint of what the holiday could be like if people mm. if you are surrounded by people who actually had your best interests in heart and and mm. actually cared for for you you know and, and these this, she well not to spoil things but she, she meets up the bit that's kind of elided she meets up with this older crowd who are actually a bit kinder they, mm. you know they, they, they're kind of parting is a bit more kind of like I guess they're a bit more kind of educated they're a bit less kind of wild than the, the, the young friends she's hanging around with and that, that kind of shows that actually these holidays don't have to be a horrible disgusting cesspit mm. um, and, I, and I, th- I thought that was nice it was actually quite an interesting way to do it so it's not not everything's black and white not everything's she's not a judgmental director in that way you know people behave badly but I don't think she judges the characters which I think makes that a stronger film for that yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's very, very strong on like how easy it is to get like swept along in things and to like not do the things. And I think that's partly, yeah, that's kind of what I was trying to say when I was reading my notes and didn't actually read the bit I meant to read. Um, <laughs> this idea that, yeah, like by having them be younger and like less kind of worldly wise, you can, it's easier for you to empathize with them when you think if it was an older, more experienced character, you'd be like, well, you're not actually going to talk to your friend. Whereas actually, like if you're not that experienced in knowing what to do mm. in any particular situation then you can understand like you are able to understand as you watch the film how you could be in this position where your friend is clearly upset about something but you aren't saying anything yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i think it was in lucy fitzgerald's review of it for us made the really good point it'd be an excellent film to show to people of that age yeah to get them to think about consent and also just thinking about looking out for your for your buddies mm-hmm. yeah it's very good it is very good uh, and luckily for all you lot out there in podcast land uh, it's actually getting like a proper big cinema release so that's good um it's out this friday the 3rd of november via movie and we also have two free screenings of it as part of the cine skinny film club thumbs up um so there's one next tuesday 7th of november at summer hall in edinburgh and one on the 8th at cca in glasgow the skinny.co.uk slash tickets for tickets to those i think they're probably both sold out by now but i would say if you want to come come along on the night and we'll see if you can squeeze you in yeah that's a cine skinny promise <laughs> people just playing the audio at our colleague who shall remain nameless and being like they promised me i could get in <laughs> Second good film of the week is Anatomy of a Fall, which is Justin Trier's Palme d'Or winner. Uh, Sandra and Samuel are a pair of authors who live in the French Alps with their son Daniel, who is kind of pretty much blind after a traffic accident. They also live with their dog Snoop. More on him later. Uh, Until, quite soon into the film, Samuel dies after falling out of the window. Or after being pushed. Or after some other combination of things that we will find out over the following 150 minutes. So Sandra Hilaire stars as Sandra, Samuel Tice, Milo Mikado Granier, Jenny Beth from Savages, which I was surprised to see, and a very, very good border collie named Messi. (laughs) Yeah, Pam Dorwinner, long kind of like twist on a court procedural. Uh, Sounds dry. Jamie, is it? It's not dry. It's, it's, yes. it's excellent. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Justin uh, Trier, she's really made a huge jump forward in her filmmaking here because uh, this is her fourth feature and her earlier films are great, I think, but they're kind of like, they've got a kind of strange tone where, well, actually, she did call me out on this because I haven't seen her first film and she says actually her first one was a bit like, uh, I interviewed the director and she said her first film is a bit more like this one. But her, her middle two films, you would never guess this was the same filmmaker mm-hmm. because they're basically romantic comedies with kind of a spiky psychological aspect and, and they've kind of got a weird kind of tonal thing going on they're good but they feel messy in a way that this feels really confident and really assured um so yeah on the surface this seems like a film you've seen a million times it's like you know it's like it's like a did they do it thriller basically like 
Basic Instinct or Jagged Edge or something like that. But it's also like a really good courtroom drama um, for like twists and turns. Um, it's, and it's also a really good study of a marriage, despite the fact that one half of the marriage dies in the second scene off, off screen, you know? So it's like really good about how relationships are kind of fucked up and nobody really knows what goes on mm. inside a relationship unless you're inside it. Um, so I thought all oh, that was great. Yeah, Sandra Turns-Hiller is fantastic. She, you know, uh, she, uh, why she's so good is her performance is really unreadable. And that's actually really integral to the plot because that's why a lot of people turn against her. You know, she she's a kind of character who is not sympathetic. And in, in that way, she's not like a sympathetic subject in that she doesn't show much emotion. She's not crying on the witness stand. Um, you know, uh, she doesn't seem that sad, to be honest. Uh, but, but, but part of that is because she's just the type of person who presents that way. But also she has to present herself in French, a language that she's not, you know, it's not something she's comfortable in speaking. You know, she's German. She speaks English is a kind of language how she communicates with her husband and then French even though she lives in France she, she hasn't picked up the language and she has to present herself in court in a language she doesn't I will say just to say really quickly the way that they talk about it in the film where they're like yeah she doesn't speak the language she speaks French really well well she speaks French really well but you can imagine if it's your thought yeah, yeah, not yeah. well enough to defend yourself no, on no, a murder no, no, no. charge but I did Come find on. it it was very German and that like oh me possibly I could not speak <laughs> oh, yeah, French oh yeah of course yeah um <laughs> so yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Actually, when I was interviewing uh, Justine Trier, she she mentioned that she was inspired by the Amanda Knox case. I don't know if you remember that, mm. like that kind of she was like a exchange student living in, in Italy, and she was accused of murdering her um, flatmate. Mm. And there was a big court case, and basically they kind of they didn't have much evidence, but they basically it was it was a character assassination because she was this kind of beautiful woman who was like supposedly sleeping around and they used all that against her and this is what you see happen in the film as well like all it's like a, a film where it just shows you basically the, like the justice the, the like the legal system can be ruthless you know like, like uh and, and particularly the french one the as french as legal see. system's got no chill at all <laughs> it was fucking insane those back chat those cross talk those defendants interrogating witnesses which yeah. is incredible it's like at one point someone is saying something i think it's maybe like a psychoanalyst who distractingly really looked like george monbiot in a carly Lake, <laughs> who is like standing there saying something about her husband and she just gets up in the dock and is like, nah, shut your puss. You don't know what you're talking about. It was wild. I think within the first like two minutes in the courtroom, I was like, your honor, they're like leading the witness. <laughs> Why is no one saying this? Like it was wild. They kept being like, so wouldn't you say that this, this and this? And the witness would be like, yeah, yeah, sure. And I was like, bitch, this the, can't be how you run things. There are also some comically unhelpful, pathologically French witnesses. Yeah. Someone is asked, do you think she was trying to seduce you? And the woman says, seduction can take many yeah. forms. It's like, <laughs> In whose side are you on, mate? Come on, help me out here. But that's the thing. This is what's so great about it. It will show you, it will show you like, um, and, and like it starts with this interview. She's been interviewed um, for a magazine or something. Uh, and the interview doesn't, I didn't get any hint of uh, like sexual tension in that interview initially. But then later it's used against her as like, oh, she's clearly flirting with this interviewer to annoy her husband. And that drove him, drove him to like his death or whatever. You know, like, like everything she does in her life is turned against her. So she's a writer. And, and it, it's claimed that what she's written about is like her inspiration for murder or, you know, like her, her husband's psychoanalyst comes in and says, well, he, he came in and, and said you're a really bad person. Well, obviously he's going to say that. You're going to talk about, you know, th that doesn't mean she is really a bad person. It's the whole like idea of like subjectivity is gone because if you're just, it's all, all hearsay. And of course people present themselves in different ways to, in different situations. And there's a, there's a big scene where like, like the big twist is there's a, 
argument that un- that's uncovered, um, like uh, of them recorded having an argument. And then, of course, when you have an argument, you say things that aren't true or you exaggerate things. And but in the courtroom, it's, it's taken as fact. And yeah, it's just it just exposed all that the, the issue with like being out, outside of something and looking in and not actually having a clue what's going on. You know, if you see a couple fighting, there's no way you can tell who's right or wrong from the mm-hmm. outside unless you're inside that marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did make me think a lot like while watching it. I will say, I really loved this. It is two and a half hours long and I think it is one of the first films in ages that I've watched at home that I have just watched and been like riveted by. Um, and if I did look at my phone, suddenly I would have to rewind because I wouldn't want to like miss it, which is like really a nice feeling. Um, but I did think a lot while watching it that like, wow, the way that we've conceptualized, I guess kind of like democracy where it's like the best out of like a lot of really shit things is how is it that like we've decided that the justice system is just whoever argues something better? Do you know what I mean? Like this isn't actually about fact, like lawyers are telling narratives and it's about like whichever narrative can be the most persuasive. And we've built like this idea of justice in something that is very like we conceptualize as black and white through something that's incredibly subjective, which is like language and storytelling, um, which is actually just like the more you think about it, just incredibly fucked up. And there's and a, there are there's scenes. One of the things that does set this apart from other kind of courtroom dramas and like procedurals is that you see conversations between defense lawyers and defendants about how they have to tell a good story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. Because Sandra says, oh, I didn't kill him. And the lawyer's like, well, that doesn't really matter. What mm. matters is you can tell the more convincing version of events than the guy on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your two stories might actually just be completely different from each other. Yeah. And neither of them might be true. Yeah. It's whichever one is, like I say, most convincing and most kind of seems most cogent in the 20 minutes that someone's listening to it is the one that's going to either have you sent away for a number of years or free as a bird regardless of whether or not you did it yeah and that makes the whole like language thing really interesting right because it becomes like this kind of cipher for how do you kind of transmit what's in like your internal self externally and how is that kind of like mediation between the internal and external happening um and in that kind of big argument that they have there's this really interesting bit where he's like you live in france like why aren't you speaking like you refuse to speak my language you refuse to meet me on my turf and she's like, well, I fucking live in France. I don't live in Germany, do I? But also, like, we speak English because it is the middle ground. Like, neither of us then are speaking the language that we're most at home in. And so that idea of, like, language and expression becoming, like, a constructive identity is, like, there's just so much to it. It's just, like, really entangled and really thorny and really, really clever. It reminded me a little bit. It's not as good, I don't think, but it did remind me quite a bit of Saint-Omer. Um, and that very similar kind of the setting of a courtroom and the ways that it is like this rigid construct to think about things that are just not rigid at all. And that kind of, yeah, that tension between objectivity and subjectivity that we have. Um, yeah, really good. Really yeah. good. I don't even mention the kid as well. I think the kid is fantastic. The Milo. kid is so good. Yeah. And of course, like it's so symbolic and so actually on the nose, but he's blind. Like or he's partially sighted anyway, so he he's but he's the main witness. Mm-hmm. So your main witness is blind, and they have to interpret it, interpret what's been going on in this marriage. Yeah, not only from a, a point of view where you can only hear what's going on, also you're a kid and you don't quite understand adult relationships. So there's, and it's your parent. Yeah, and so like this kid is sitting in the courtroom hearing all these things about his parents that he never knew or understood, mm-hmm. and he's having to sort of basically 
be the final witness to decide if his mum goes to jail or not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and there's also the weird tension of he has to also live with his mother yeah. during all this and they bring in this extra person which I think is a really interesting wrinkle where they bring this, this, this guardian basically to kind of make sure she's not leading the witness or mm. uh, you know making him change his testimony or whatever so that's that's all very rich and juicy and you know like I say it's like it's kind of on the nose a little bit and, and but it's like so well done it's like a very interesting yeah that is all true we need to talk about this dog yeah the dog is the dog, great the dog is great brilliant dog acting just in terms of like hitting your beats hitting your marks good face uh, some really interesting bits of like, and I think the dog is weirdly like an audience stand-in. The mm. dog goes where we want to go. The dog appears at moments when you need to. The dog is one of two Deus Ex Machinas in the last <laughs> half an hour. One of which there is like, I was saying this to Jamie, I'm not going to spoil it on the pod, but there is a perfect Simpsons quote <laughs> that personifies the bit that happens right at the very, very end of the film. Cine skinny at the skinny .co.uk and I will explain myself, but I'm not just going to say it on the podcast because it will literally ruin a two and a half hour procedural film. So what we should do is put the dog on the stand. The dog knew yes. what was going on. That collie. Was, yeah, I mean, was, if you yeah. can put somebody's partially sighted twelve year old son on the stand multiple times, I was then say, the things that they take for like witness and evidence. Again, maybe we could cut this bit. Um, but that point where they're like. Um, oh well his experiment with the dog and it's like girl why are you considering the experiment that 11 year old did with the dog <laughs> like what are you talking yeah, I mean, about yeah I don't know I, I don't know how if like because like, the French lesson does seem very kooky I don't know if this yeah. is exactly how it plays out I'm just taking yeah. this as like realism but yeah. it's probably not at all yeah it is a classic example of like Right, strike that from the record. It's like I can't strike it from my mind. Yeah. Now I'm just thinking about Science Boy and his yeah. yeah. What is that from? Is that is that Anatomy of a Murder? That bit where they're like, one of them leans over to James Stewart and is like, "How can a witness disregard what they've heard?" And he's like, "Well, they can't." Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Thing. Well, I mean, it's clearly taken influence from. Well, it's, mm. it's not just the name, but like Anatomy Murder. The whole thing about Anatomy Murder is nobody knows if the person did it. Yeah, like, yeah, and they probably did do it. Yeah. And, and it's like all about James Stewart is trying to, like, using all the powers of the law mm -hmm. to get his defendant off, even though she probably did do it, but. Yeah. <laughs> But but you know but in a sympathetic way we're kind of like the character so so yeah it's like it, I, I and also I love like I'm actually not sure if if Sandra Hiller Sandra did it or not like this like I love the ambiguity of the mm. the film um and it, and it leaves you it's a film you could debate endlessly I think um which it, which is kind of fun as well yeah it's a fun two hour romp <laughs> with some incredible like with it's like. Yeah, two and a half hour art house, unexpected French slash German court procedural that also has incredibly sassy characters, a lovely dog, and a number of ridiculous <laughs> twists. Yeah, and it's yeah. got I think the best couple argument. Yeah, on cinema, hell. my god, it's getting like Marriage Story looks like yeah. like a rom com next to this yeah. argument is like so like all the all the 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 little petty grievances come out as can sometimes happen in a relationship yeah. and it's, it's beautiful to see yeah. it's one of those films that is serious and makes you think but is also quite fun and stupid yeah, yeah lovely yeah. times so Anatomy of the Fall is out on the 10th of November so a week on Friday if you're listening to this when it comes out there are preview screenings at the Cameo and the GFT on the 8th which is next Wednesday so if you can't get tickets for How to Have Sex at the Sydney Skinny Film Club the skinny.co.uk slash tickets then uh, go and see Anatomy of a Fall because it's very, very good. Okay, and in honour of how to have sex's depiction of a chaotic holiday to Malia, 
we are each going to talk about our favourite depictions of holidays on films. At least one person is killed. Uh, there is a whole bunch of caper, uh, screwball nonsense about to occur, etc, etc. So we've each gone off and picked one in classic Cine Skinny fashion. I'll come to you, Anahit, first. We just had a long digression off mic, uh, some of which was in the opening to this episode. It all went a bit chaotic, but you know what? We're having a good time. I feel like the energy is now up. Tell us about this film that you're going to tell us about, whose name I've just forgotten. So, it is Only You. Um, it was directed by Norman Jewison, who did definitely did Fiddler on the Roof. Has also done other things, I presume. Like other kind of... Did yeah. you do it? And Moonstruck, that was the other big one. Um, so kind of that, I think, gives you an idea of the sort of slightly warm, cozy, and also truly unhinged vibes that this film is. So it centers, it starts off, this young girl is told by a Ouija board that the man that she will marry is called Damon Bradley. Fast forward like 20-ish years, it is now the hottest woman you've ever seen, 90s Marissa Tomei. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> absolutely fucking insane she's like a school teacher she desperately believes in love she's like married to like or engaged to the most boring man in the world and then as she's trying on her wedding dress she gets a call in her house from a businessman who wants to leave a message for her fiance and his name is damon bradley so then with her best friend who is bonnie hunt also one of the most beautiful looking women in the world they go off to italy because he's in italy and they just go, they go to Venice, they drive around the Italian countryside, they end up in Rome, and in Rome, who do they bump into? But Robert Downey Jr., who is Damon Bradley, or is he? And it is absolutely fucking unhinged. There is Billy Zane in a wig, for reasons that truly no one can explain. None of these people are well, like at all. All of them need intensive therapy. They're all just running around Italy. They're having like weird little affairs that they shouldn't be having. It's one of the like nicest films I've ever seen in my life. It is like pure, pure 90s rom-com. She has never made a good decision in her life. Her wedding is in like a week. She's hunting for this man. Robert Downey Jr. appears with his like little, remember like how he looked in the 90s where it just like looked like he was wearing eyeliner all the time. He's trying to speak Italian, but he knows three words of Italian. He's running after her. They have like a little Roman holiday thing. It's just so lovely. I think it is the opposite of how to have sex. (laughs) In that there is not one brain cell in this film. This will just not even have a single brain cell. There are no brain cells. It is just vibes. It makes me so happy. It is one of the films that quite inexplicably my dad likes. <laughs> my mum hates. <laughs> and I've watched it with him so many times. Um, it is deranged. It is absolutely fucking unhinged. But I would really, really recommend it. If you are having, as on all of us, having a shit time, it's just so... It just makes you so happy. It's like so fun. So, so fun. I feel like I haven't really explained it very well, but it's because you can't explain it very well. Like, it sounds just, like chaos. It's just, yeah, it is pure chaos. It is absolutely mental. Like I think kind of people talk about like, oh, well, like the romantic comedy and like romance and the rom-com and the genre and blah, blah, blah. And we're now entering into like an ethical age of it. And I don't think we should be entering into an ethical age of it. I think people should just be lying to each other. And that's what makes it sexy. And this film is the epitome of that. These people should not be together because the, the, not one part of this, of how they treat each other, is moral or ethical in any way. But you know they're having such good sex. That <laughs> does not matter. If you wanted to see a bunch of people try to be truthful to each other, you would just talk to your friends. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, that's not the fucking point. Anyway. 
well, I'm going to follow that with something else that also involves lots of lying and Italy. Uh, so yeah, I want to talk about the talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The lads are on tour. Um, yeah, uh, Jude Law, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Matt Damon, who is Tom Ripley, sent from New York to Italy to retrieve Jude Law from his endless summer holiday. And then when he won't come quietly, the talented Mr. Ripley does redacted and then just starts assuming his identity. Which, again, chaotic Italian nonsense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Two things, two readings of this too, I want to enter into the Cine Skinny canon. One, uh, so I spoke to Natalie Ola, the kind of author and cultural critic for the latest issue of The Skinny, and she, in her new book, Bad Taste, has a big bit about talented Mr. Ripley, and she kind of considers it to be a story about the differences in how people move through the world, the lack of resistance felt if you have loads of money, and the scheming that you have to do if you don't have any money. Uh, but I also want to put in that like, the reason that the holiday episode is like such a sitcom cliche is because like films on holiday they have this kind of like locked room mystery feel mm. but like the locked room is just like it's always sunny and there's a free bar <laughs> like they take all these characters where they don't have to do like they don't have the home comforts to fall back on they're surrounded by people they might never see or hear from again and everyone is out of their element and you put them all in a lovely sunny like climb and just watch them absolutely go hog wild at each other <laughs> talented mr ripley always seems like it's about wanting this kind of like holiday to it's this thing of like everyone says oh, i wish our holiday could go on forever ripley needs his holiday to go on forever because <laughs> he's because well, he he's done redacted <laughs> so if he was to reveal that redacted had happened then he's his holiday days his holidaying days are numbered um and it's about yeah, what you might do to make that happen and also crucially about how much of our perceptions of the outside world depend entirely on context clues like this guy looks different to the other guy he's just wearing a coat like just make him take the coat off and then be like hang on a minute hang on a minute you've got a completely different face and body and voice from the guy we're all looking for oh well never mind i mean like people change a lot when they've been on holidays la dolce vita has has made this person apparently like shrink two inches and completely change their face it's interesting that you're bringing this up now because Saltburn comes out. Is it next week? Uh, yes, yes, I believe it is. In a couple of weeks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is knockoff, talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, yes. you're gonna love it. Yeah, sweet. Am I gonna love it or am I gonna? <laughs> and that's love kind of a holiday film as well, yeah. kind of. Like yeah, they're on, they're, kind on of. they're on summer break, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the British countryside. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, the fact that it's in the British countryside rather than in Italy already puts it at a massive disadvantage. But, but this is like, so. but this looks like the British countryside does look like Italy in here. It's like very dreamy. It's like sunny Perfect. the whole time, which again I call bullshit. When did it happen? Doesn't it take place like? It's the early noughties, is it? It's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. 2005, something like that. Yeah. I thought you meant when about in the year. No, no, no. <laughs> no <laughs> the, the early noughties, famously the heat wave that lasted three years. <laughs> no, because I lived there back then at around exactly that time and it was never that sunny. Yeah, the, the soundtrack is just basically a bunch of mid noughties songs. It's like yeah, a. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just the indie sleaze. Exactly. That's it. That's all she did. She pressed play on the Spotify playlist. Anyway, point being, you all like right, it. Right, that was... A lot of landfill indie, basically, <laughs> on the soundtrack. Is there any landfill indie on the soundtrack to Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid, Jamie? <laughs> There's not, because it didn't exist back in 1972. <laughs> um, well, I mean, <laughs> is a segue. You're all welcome. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I was going to say, the, the first one that did come to me was uh, Ui, Tambi, uh, Ui Mama Tambien, mm -hmm. which I've talked about before. And then I thought I could have done... Um, Coming by your name, and I just thought that's such a basic bitch film, even though I love it so much. Yeah, and it would have I been a three for three on Italy. Yeah, 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 but never mind. But so I've, I've ruined it by going for <laughs> Elaine May's Heartbreak Kid, which is set in Florida and then elsewhere somewhere. Um, 
How dumb are yourself? This is, this is, I think, the funniest film ever made. So just any excuse to talk about this. Um, it's the second film from Elaine May. It stars Charles Grodin as this guy who's just gotten married to um, Jenny Berlin. Uh, and he instantly regrets it. Like, literally, on... It, in the car down on their honeymoon he says my god this is the worst she, she just starts to be annoying oh, and it, no. you know uh, and, and he realizes what i've done so he's on this whole he's on his honeymoon with a woman he, he clearly hates and while on honeymoon he basically meets another woman played by sybil shepherd who turns out to be 17 but despite this and despite being on his honeymoon he pursues her relentlessly uh, and he comes up with all these elaborate schemes to keep his wife in the hotel room like like he, he intentionally like gives her sunburn so she has to like stay in the uh, he makes up all this story about meeting his his uh pal from vietnam he's got all these elaborate tales he's he's, he's so desperate it's basically a film about watching a guy who you know he he's he's just pure ego um, is it ego or Ed? I always forget which one it is. He, he just wants, he sees what he wants and he's going for it and he doesn't yeah, care yeah. who he hurts. You know, it's, this is a, the woman's bloody honeymoon and he can't <laughs> even wait to, to find another woman. He's awful. <laughs> so it's a great study of a person who kind of, um, you know, thinks the grass is green on the other side. Charles Grosin, you know, I think has never been better. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it, is it, she it, actually annoying or is it just more that she, she is quite annoying, but not so annoying that you would basically treat her so badly and so poorly, right. you know. And and uh, Jenny Berlin is actually Elaine May's daughter. Oh. Uh, and it's like a really kind of like, I, I, I presume she's like, is Elaine May's the kind of stand-in. This is a very kind of affectionate, annoying. She's not like treated badly in any way. She's actually, mm. you, you, you know, she's like, She's funny annoying. She's right. like, you know, you're just the kind of person like when you're on a holiday with is a bit whiny. Yeah, and like, yeah. God, can I really have like spend the next 50 years with this woman? Is that, <laughs> you know, you can understand why. Um, but yeah, it's like, it, but anyway, Charles Grun is great at being this kind of pathetic, anxious, desperate person. Um, you know, it's, it's like really about the, the male ego and like self-destruction of the male ego. Um, it, it shares a bit of DNA with The Graduate, but I think this is much better. Um, and yeah, like I say, it's one of the funniest films ever. It's like it's like watching uh, Charles Grodin first of all try and take his claws into this young girl, and then try to get past her family, who are this kind of like waspy, um, like kind of like really rich, tough family, um, and he's like this kind of like you know uh, Jewish guy who's like nothing to offer. Um, it's, it's hilarious, um, and it's just, it's just endlessly endlessly rewatchable. Tons of uh, tons of very funny lines. It's one of these films that is kind of like isn't that well known because it's kind of in like a distribution limbo. It's like not on DVD. It never got real released. Um, prop- I've heard of it a lot. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people really love it. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. That's where I saw it first. Um, it's really good. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's like absolute riot. And yeah, it's like a, it's not a it's not a good holiday. It's like <laughs> the worst honeymoon you've ever seen uh, on on screen. But it's great. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever seen an Elaine May film, but I have seen Mikey and Nikki, actually. Um, but I haven't seen... Because it's Heartbreak Hidden and then, is it A New Leaf? A New Leaf's like the first kind film. Of, yeah, yeah, the rom-comier, romancier one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen either of those. Which Both are great. great. They're, yeah. all, they're all great. Well, if, not, if none of that has inspired you to go on holiday, then I don't know what will. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the Heartbreak Kid, you're gonna have to get on YouTube, and but if you literally just type "Watch the Heartbreak Kid 1974" into Google, then it might turn up. Who's to say? Yeah. I've just checked; it definitely will. Um, talented Mr. That's Rip. amazing because it's 1972 as well. So, well, I mean, Google can tell what you mean. <laughs> um, 
Um, and then Talented Mr. Ripley and Only You, I think, are on some streaming platform or, or other. But um, There yeah. was a point where it was on um, Netflix, but that was quite a while ago. I also feel it's on TV a lot. It's like one of these films that I've seen, like mm-hmm. I've maybe only seen it a couple of times all the way through from start to finish. But every time I see it on TV, I kind of watch it then. It's just yeah, like such yeah, a yeah. enjoyable film to watch. So juicy. Well, watch them if you can. I think any of them probably a good, if somewhat bizarre, accompaniment to how to have sex for the, <laughs> for the classic jarring tonal shift double bill that we always love to promote on here. Um, I think we're probably done here for today. Yeah. yeah so thanks, Anna Heat. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Just here. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Yeah, I think we're back in. No, I think we're back actually. No, we are back in two weeks. We'll be back in a number of weeks. I honestly can't remember when we're back. <laughs> we'll be back. We will be back. Um, and it'll be nearly time to talk about the end of the year. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be 2024. Mm-mm. And they'll, yeah, I'm being head shaken at by Annie. <laughs> so it's probably time to go. Uh, yes, follow us on the socials, ehfm.live. Thanks again to Jamie and the gang. And we will be back shortly. Bye. Bye. Bye.